The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, part of the Great Escapes series, something a little bit different. We're talking about ejection seats, but with some of the people who maintain them. Safety and surface workers. My old trade in the Air Force. I got together with three of my old colleagues, all of whom worked on the ejection seats, and we had a bit of a discussion, reminiscent about those days, back in the 1980s and 90s. It's a bit of a rolling discussion, and there's probably a bit of technical jargon that most people won't understand. So if you end up having any questions, feel free to post on the comments box under the episode. Or feel free to ask on the Wings Over New Zealand forum. Anyway, here's the episode. With Evan Allen, Jeff Polypoglase, and Terry Austin, because of his height, known as Gnome. I want to welcome to the show three safety and surface workers uh, who worked on the ejection seats. We've got Jeff Polglase, Evan Allen, and Terry Austin. Welcome, guys. Evening. Hi, Dave. Um, now, you guys worked on the ejection seats for various jets that the Air Force had uh, that have been covered in this episode. And um, the three seats between you guys that uh, you worked on uh, were the seat for the Stripe Master, the Skyhawk, and the Mackie. Um, I just uh, I, I want to get a little bit of detail about um, what the safety and surface side of the things were for them. And... Uh, that includes the parachutes, uh, the life rafts, um, the life preservers that the guys were wearing and the their survival packs as well. So if we start with the first one um, with the Stripe Master. Now, did you did you guys work on the Stripe Master seats? I worked on 14 Squadron for uh, a couple of years. And so I did the, the flying clothing side of it, but I never did the parachute for the seat pack. Okay, okay. And Jeff, yeah, what about you? Parachute. Yeah, I did his parachute and, and the flying clothing, but um, only as a sort of loan back for flying clothing. Okay, so the, the parachute was called the MBEU, if I remember right. Is that correct? Mm, uh, something like that. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Mark, like a Mark 5, Mark 6 seat, so I can't remember the, the, the old horseshoe, um, brown horseshoe shape. Yeah, it was, was a brown yeah. horseshoe pack, yeah. And um, I think probably, Dave, the best thing to start with was... Um, what the seat was rated to because if i recall it was like a zero 
eighty or something. It had to have like yeah. eighty knots. Zero ninety or zero eighty something somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was zero ninety. Yeah, the, I yeah. remember remember that from. And my, so I think training. that the I think the limitation on that is how quick you can fill the parachute with air, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, the that's the um the speed of the aircraft and yeah, the, the forward speed. Yeah. Yeah, forward speed and yeah. was it so, height so in, in comparison the A4 was zero zero because yeah. it had the ballistic spreader so it couldn't inflate immediately. Yeah. Yeah, correct. But on the on the Martin Baker one, it had like a um it had a a retard function which um kept the canopy together for a little bit longer, which actually um it sounds stupid, but it made it open quicker. Um talking about so that sort of had, instead of like a drogue shoot um which it did have one but um but it had this sort of can you remember even it sort of had a some links that tied inside the canopy that yeah, the, held it together the anti-squid line that went from the risers to the um vent which was shorter. yeah that's right so it pulled it it was a bit shorter yeah the when you laid them on the table you couldn't pull the parachute out to its full extension like you could with say a, a t10 or a pr or something like that Oh, okay. That's All right. right. Yep, that's right. Okay. So do you understand that, Dave, that it sort of was pulling the canopy down? It stopped, so it, it, um, it stopped the canopy from opening, then collapsing, then opening again. It went just went straight to open and couldn't collapse in. So Yeah, that's right. Right, right, right. So okay. all the weight of the all the weight of the um, person was pulled from the canopy as opposed to the um, the rises. That's yep. right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With the with the parachute, you, you mentioned it's sort of a horseshoe shape. Um, it, it was packed around the that shape, wasn't it? And was behind the pilot. Yeah, it's kind of. Um, it was in like a brown canvas horseshoe shape hat with a leather cover on it. Yeah. And I I actually never ever did one or saw one pulled down. Um, I've only ever seen them in the aircraft and they basically they'd sit right behind the pilot's helmet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, top. Yeah, it's part of the seat comfort. Okay, cool. Um, can we talk about the uh, Skyhawk ejection seat now uh, and the parachute and all of the bits that went with it? So that one was Do exciting for a young fellow when you turn up in the parachute bay and they say it goes bang. Yeah. You go, what? A parachute goes bang? What are you talking about? So, uh, yeah, Terry, you, you, you have a talking part now. You tell us how that worked. Because uh, I, I love the ballistic spreader. I thought it, it actually made me poo my pants initially. <laughs> me too. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, I was in the um, Parachute Bay uh, 1984, started 1984. And um, I, was, I started packing on the uh, Martin Baker, the Strike Master, and then moved on to the NES-12M for the Skyhawk. Um, probably... Um, the main difference between those two was this um, NES-12M had a couple of pyrotechnic devices in it and the Martin Baker was um, far easier to pack with uh, no pyrotechnic devices fitted to the chute. Um, so one, one, one day, um, my colleague, um, Pete, he was arming the actuator for the NES-12 and it's, you fit a cartridge, which if you imagine um, is the size of a 22 cartridge, in the altitude actuator and the idea of that 
is to um, it's a it's a barometric device basically, and it pulls the four rip pins out um, automatically, so the pilot has no input um, at all in doing that. One day, um, Pete um, he put the cartridge in, armed the actuator, and then I was next door and I heard this expletive yelled out, and a split second later there was a loud um, crack, smell of smoke. I ran through, and because um, it's a delayed cartridge, what happened, he'd forgotten to put the safety pin in when he armed the actuator, and so it fired the little piston that pulls the uh, pins out of the uh, rip cord. Yeah, uh, Dave so Beresford that, did it as well. Apparently, yeah, it's got a 0.25 delay, and it's just long enough to say the F word. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> you know so you've what, done what bad. So what happened to explain it, um, they got the 432 and they put used for demonstration purpose to explain the um, cartridge being used and having to replace it from the armory. <laughs> but it also ups, upset the parachute having to um, start again and check it out, ready to go again on another day. Yeah, wow. It always used to amaze me, like um, you'd hear stories of the guys that were going on vanguards and People in, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, and people in Thailand that, that watched the, the people pack them in Thailand and um, Singapore, they'd pack three, four, five, six of these a day. We'd do one because we normally have to wait for the flight sergeant to finish his coffee to come and do the independent checks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, did you, no, did you ever go up on a vanguard to see them doing it? No, I didn't actually. No, I didn't. What about, what about you, Evie? Yeah, I, I did three vanguards. Apparently, there was marks on the parachute bay wall where, um, you know, I'm not sure what country, but um, that actually set a NES 12 off inside the parachute bay with the ballistic spreader. Yeah, had marks yep. on the wall. Yeah, well, uh, did Quantin? you see that at Quantum? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, we didn't have much to do with them because you know, we didn't actually pull any parachutes down, or it was just mainly a social visit, really. But um, we did um, we did lose a parachute once on its way back from um, Nowra after two squadron had sent it back as a, for servicing, and the courier company couldn't find it, and they the suppliers came down and asked us what the, the cost was to buy, to buy a new one as a you know as a um, <laughs> warranty claim, and we wow. pointed out to them that they couldn't do that because it had an explosive cartridge in it, so we'd have to get in touch with the police. And 24 hours yeah. later, that parachute turned up. So I think some bastard was going to steal it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I um, I had to pin one. I had to pin one in Nara because the canopy fell out of the pack. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So um, so we. I don't know if you remember the two squadron um shed was just that. It was a shed. Yep. It was windy yep. as hell. So I posted safety people on every door and said, "Don't let anyone open one." And then I ripped the pack open and um. And, and chuck the pin in it to send it back home. Yeah, the, the safety pin always got attached to the um, one of the risers. Yeah, that's yeah. right. No, it was on an, it was on the elastic. Yeah, yeah, it was on the elastic. Yeah, so um, yeah, so I just, I was I was on I was working the day and I went oh boys, I don't trust this shed and I don't trust this thing not to pop open. So um, you know I'm just going to pin it. So cool. chill out. Yeah, that <laughs> was my wartime action up to that point. <laughs> 
they were exciting. It, it was always amazed me. You'd put the signs up in the bay when you were packing for the don't come in because there's explosives exposed. The amount of people that would bang on their head, the sign would bang on their head as they walked into the bay, completely ignoring it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I used to enjoy NES 12 packing day because there were so many breaks. As I said, the flight sergeant wouldn't come over and do the checks. Yeah. What one thing with the NES 12 over the US, if you're, it, was, it took only one SNS packer to pack an NES 12 from start to finish. If you look in the nav air, the Americans had a rigor for each part of the packing process. So there might have been three or four um, riggers. One would do the canopy, one would stow the lines, one would um, make ready the actuator on the ballistic spreader gun. So I think Kiwi SNS packers were probably um, quite expertise at every aspect of packing the parachute from start to finish. Yeah, you get to know it inside and out, that's for sure. You do. Hey, um, one funny thing uh, on 75 Squadron when I was in the parachute bay, I think Barry Cochran was my Sarge, and I got a phone call. Well, I didn't get a phone call. The Sarge got it and asked me to go down to 75 Squadron with a um, needle and some um, safety thread. And what happened is that they just installed the um, ejection seat into the um, A4 in the hangar, and when they were um, adjusting the harness on the ejection seat, they'd um, dislodge and snap the red thread on, I think it was on the external drogue on the outside of the pack, which um, you pull the um, parachute pack away from the seat. It comes out a certain distance. They were doing their checks. So I went down there with needle and thread. I went up the, um, the pilot's uh, ladder into the open cockpit and I'd never done it before on the job like that and I was leaning over and I had a technician down on the ground and I had they um I leant over one of them held the um parachute away from the seat so I could actually see where the thread was broken and redo the um replace the um safety thread when the process of doing it I dropped the needle down the side of the seat <laughs> oh, no <laughs> so I actually grounded the aircraft and um highly embarrassed and they gave me a um like a dentist mirror and a um a stalk with a um a magnetic device magnet. on the end yeah and i was going down yeah. the side trying to do it and i just i spent probably only 10 minutes but it was quite back breaking lean into the cockpit at an acute angle yeah so I, I, I went down and gave up and the techos took over and i i think they found it in about half an hour but wow. uh, that was the last time I think I did that. <laughs> did that cost you some biscuit? Yeah. <laughs> I, d I didn't want to go near the flight line office and, and be embarrassed. <laughs> I'm sure it wouldn't have been mentioned. Yeah. I don't think I told Barry. <laughs> <laughs> he would have laughed his socks off. Yeah, would have. Do you guys remember what was inside the... Um actual survival pack what what was in the what what was there for the pilot um uh, in the, water the eh? bag water bag um, water barley yeah. sugar yep um up, this is no shit up until about two years ago i had an a4 first aid kit in my side drawer of my of my bed oh, don't yeah. ask me why but it had some pretty good bed. drugs in it i never tried them but um <laughs> yeah no they had a little first aid kit in there as well yeah. Um, and then you had things like, I think in the jackets, they had heliographs 
pencil yep. players. Yep. Derby. Um, but Riskate also had a um, beacon in it as well that operated on ejection. That's right. Yeah. Was it called something yeah, like an inert? It was hooked up with the lanyard an inert? seat, I think. Yeah. Was it yeah, an inert? Inert, something like that, yeah. Yeah, that rings a bell. God, still um, 49, still not remembering. The bottom of the lid was the emergency oxygen for the pilot. Okay. That's right. Uh, what else was there? Um, the hat, the funny hat, Paxor. Oh, yeah, those Paxors were great. They actually worked really well. Hey, do you know what? They used Paxors in ambulances to take legs off, take limbs I, off. Yeah, I could easily imagine. Just, just, throwing, just throwing that in there. But they're pretty bloody good. They're good yeah. at what they do. Is, uh, yeah, I've, I've um, they have a fishing kit. Fishing yeah, they have a fishing kit. Yep. Uh, a solar still. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. Uh, hey, I'll start. tell you a funny story about um, when my time in the life raft, eh? I was 17 when I got there. And um, one of the first 432s that I wrote, um, we changed the rations out. So, you know, the barley sugar little tins. Yep. And I sent on my 432 that I wrote um, that we had changed the rations R-A-S-H-U-N <laughs> <laughs> it one, of my, one of my first 432s I changed out the bacon <laughs> for the listeners the 432 is the triplicate piece of paperwork that uh, uh, you fill in and it basically proves that the item is serviceable when you finish basically isn't it Yep. Yeah, the, okay. it's the trail, mm. where it came from, where it's going to, and yeah. when it got fixed, and who did it, all the important stuff. Yeah. I, like I, I, haven't, I haven't thought about a 432 for a long, 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 long time, but I could probably still fill one out. <laughs> yeah, probably digital. I remember them saying they were, like, they were like $4 each or something. Yeah, exactly. Don't waste it. Ridiculous. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Government work, hey, triplicate it. Yeah, $4 each. Yeah. Were they a mill spec form that increased the cost? Probably. Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> Just a cheap yeah. copy. Hey guys, do you remember um, 1985 November? Joe Jessup was in the um, Para Bay with me, and um, Lindsay's uh, Strike Master over North Canterbury um, went down, and he successfully ejected. Yeah, I was in Auckland. Yeah, so what? Oh, okay, yeah, so. Um, what happened is that Joe and I had picked a number of Martin Baker shoots and we didn't know who's one. When we heard that the pilot had made it, um, the military police came down, or the provost came down and took away the log cards. And we didn't find out later that it was Joe that actually um, successfully packed the shoot and all that. But um, I think the armourers, yeah, the armourers and Joe and a few others went down to the armoury when the pilot was recovered and checked out and had a few beers, but that's the only occasion when I was in the para bay. Um, I'm sure you guys later on, other bailouts, successful ones, probably the same would have happened with the pilot shout a few drinks, I suspect. Yeah, um, Fraze brought in a dozen beer for, for for the bay, for the para bay, and he did the same for the armourers. Yeah, no, they're, yeah. they're all good, good for that. They're all a good bunch of guys, really. And, and what yeah. about when they... Um, we'll just let them out. We just let them out of a dire situation. It should have been a keg. <laughs> <laughs> should have been a keg. 
<laughs> Apparently, when that uh, Kinvig um, came out, there's a photo in the armory of him sitting on a keg with a broken leg um, yeah. for his shout. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm looking at a photo of uh, Kinvig right now um, being awarded the ejection seat handle from an armor. Oh, okay, and, yeah, I saw that. Oh, yeah. yeah, so what I've noticed is that. Um, it seems like a few pilots pulling the handle between the um, between their legs. I don't know how often the one above their head um, was used. Um, it seems like the one between their legs no, was that, probably the um, most common pulled handle. That's the priority one. Yeah. I've watched Top Gun and they can't reach it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how the heck am I going to reach it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Tom, Tom says to his mate, at the back, I can't reach it, Goose. You got to get it. <laughs> Must be true. Not exactly <laughs> true. <laughs> Actually, they didn't teach it. No, um, I remember that they taught the um, lower pull because it was better for your back. It's quicker. Yeah. Right. What they point. thought would happen is if you if you reach back, you'd lean forward, and then you're curving your back. So I think their primary was always the bottom anyway. Okay. I, I don't and don't ask me why I remember that because I'm 49 and still don't remember anything. I did a couple of sorties in the in the um, TA4, and I think the bottom handle was probably about my waist level, so it would have been just there. <laughs> <laughs> Easy reach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've spoken. Um, Pete Turvey took me up for my flights, and um, when I was helping out on two squad and before they went to Nara. And so, um, yeah, Pete Two from 75 took me up and we did a um, South Island ticket tour and some dry bomb runs on some lighthouses. Right? Awesome. But I didn't um, didn't throw up, so I was pretty proud of that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> did you get up for a fly, Jeff? Yeah, I did one in Nara, um, just a two-ship um, bouncing two frigates, I think, just off Nara for about oh. an hour and a half. It was pretty good. Yep. Cool. Yeah. What about you, Evan? Did you go up? Yeah, I, I did a couple of trips in Skyhawks and uh, one in Mackie and one in Stripemaster. Okay. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Which one had the most comfortable seat to sit on? The uh, Mackie by a country mile. Really? Okay. Uh, Skyhawks, like banging your head around in a fishbowl. Yeah, yeah, just had that real comfy sheepskin, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we started putting the um, tree scape things into the seat cushions, so they weren't really cushions anymore. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, the um, lowering from tree stuff. Yeah, the for the flying over the jungle. That's right. What, what are they? What can you explain that? They replaced the seat cushions with coil lengths of nylon, tubular nylon. That flat tubular nylon's better. 2,000 pounds or something. Um, yeah. So if you ejected into the jungle canopy, you could use it to climb down from a tree. All right. A cushion. So you had interesting a pile of nylon. That was later in the piece. Hey? Like yeah. So they weren't that comfortable, but the Mackie seat was really comfortable. Okay. Hey, well, the um, Skyhawk seat, get, think what been in the back seat what was the first thing that i would have done once i was harnessed in what was the first thing a short bug would do sitting in the seat 
Motor Put your blow-up cushion on there. Yeah, close. Hit, hit the toggle switch and raise the seat so I could see at the front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Motor it> <laughs> but, it, but isn't that what sort of... Um, um, I think you talked about it earlier before I linked in. Um, and the Mackie with the uh, pastor in the back, he, he might have raised the seat too high as part of the issue. Yeah, mm. when I was at 14 Squadron, they were pretty, we were pretty careful on that. You know, when you're plugging passengers into the back seat, you, you always check the top of the helmet versus the canopy breaker knobs, the yeah. seat, break, seat canopy breakers. So obviously they learnt the lesson from that one. Mm. And you are talking about the Barrett, um, that ejection up north... Um, it, um, Force who was tiny and Jody who was tall as hell, yeah. <laughs> so, um, what was the, the, the what was the shoot in the um Mackie seat? The, that was the Mark 10 Martin Baker. That we it's had a Mark 10, yeah. Mark 10, I think it's a very similar to the seat in the new Texans. I think it's a, theirs is a version of the same thing, right? It's um, it's got a conical shape rather than like a straight round canopy like the uh, Stripe Masters and the Skyhawks had. And it's okay. a lot smaller as well. I think it's only 24 foot. Okay. Yes, so that rings a bell. 28 foot for the Skyhawk and the, and the yeah. uh, Stripe Master. So they seem to work really well. So no complaints about landing in them. And that was, was I getting confused before about that bridal thing? Because that, wasn't no. there something particular on that one it was that was had the same system uh the anti-squid lines that went from the top of the harness uh the riser links to the center of the canopy um so that when the canopy because the the mackie seat was zero zero as well but they did it with the bridle yeah. uh the anti-squid lines which stopped the canopy from flapping about so uh yeah i don't know the difference between that design and the stripe master design but they that um, I think they had two. Stuff. I think they had two squid lines in the Mac. Uh, the Stripe Master one had one squid line. Oh, okay. yeah. definitely two on the Mackie ones. Because yeah. you couldn't pull the parachute out on the packing table to its full length. You always had to um, take them um, off the links. Take them off the links. Yeah, to pack to to fold the canopy. Right. Right. Hey, but, Jeff. Just just looking at a photo, the um, Strike Master one had two squid lines. I'm just looking at one that I'm packing um, the full length of the table, oh, laid nice. out, ready yep. to go into the packet. Yeah, so it's it's got, it has got two, two anti-squid lines, same as the Mackie. Oh, there you go. had more yep. to do with the seat design, you know, the, the, the height the seat can punch you out rather than the actual parachute system itself for the zero-zero thing. Right, yep. The Mackie shoots, the Mackie um, parachute packs were really easy to pack. You basically just drop the rigging lines into the bottom of the box, neatly, of course, and then you um, fold S folded the canopy onto it. And the, the longest bit was sticking like 20 kilos of weight on top of the canopy and going and having lunch and coming back when <laughs> it's time to get all the air out so you could fit the rest in. Oh, right. That's okay. right. It had a, um, you used a press, didn't you? Was it a press or? Um, yeah. Yeah, you had a press, you'd stick a whole pile of weights on it and then you'd pump the press onto it and pump it down and then wait a bit and then pump it down a bit more. And then, yeah, it was just the, the um, you 
the only thing you had to be careful of was the attachment bar to the drogue chute um, that came out between the flaps on top of the box. Just had to make sure you didn't get that tracked anywhere so it didn't crush against the side of the box. Mm. Mm. I don't think, I think I probably saw one packed maybe twice, but I think I'd moved on by then. Yeah, it probably took us yeah, as long to clean, disassemble, clean, and reassemble the QRF as it did to pack the parachute. Okay. We yeah, also I think, the, I, I think I'd been post. I think I'd been posted to the home brew um, office <laughs> by then. <laughs> oh, sorry. I mean, sorry. I meant the signwriting bay. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Guys, do you remember how hard it was to close the NES twelve? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was good for um. A muscle workout, but um, I think that was one of the hardest packs to close compared to the, probably the Mackie, which I didn't pack, and the um, Martin Baker, which just had to watch how you zipped it down the sides to avoid the canopy. But I think yeah. the um, Skyhawk shoot was yeah, the hardest so one had, to close um, up. And make sure the lengths of paracord you used to get the uh, locking cones through the holes were in good condition before you started because yeah. you don't want those pricks breaking on you because you get yep. a full of drogue shoot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I seem to recall that some of the um, the packs for the Stripe Masters uh, life raft were also quite hard to close as well. That the, they had their hard packs on those, and some of them went good and some of them didn't. Right. They were called a valise. Valise. Uh, and they yeah. had a. That's right. It, it reminded me. So they had a hard back, which would actually be the bit you sat on. Yeah. And it sat upside down inside the inside the seat pan that's right yep that's right yellow i'm thinking yellow yeah bright yellow yeah and it was sort of like a uh, was it a vinyl top canvas top maybe well it was actually the bottom and that's what you closed up yeah i think it was canvas i'm not sure canvas, yeah some sort of canvas yeah yeah because the the mackie ones were soft packs as well but they were um, like a green bloody green rubberized canvas thing Right. But what about the uh, life preservers that the pilots wore as a vest, the, the life vest? Um, do you remember what the designation was on those? I know that the ones that I worked on a lot at Wigram were the Mark 15s, but I think they, these were really similar, but they had the uh, the G-suit fastening. Um, uh, integrated harness. Mm, integrated the, harness. Um, A4. It was, it was a Mark 12. 12-22. Yeah. That's right. Twelve went to twenty-two, and then they got flash. It got uh, it closed up with rat tails, uh, long wire with plastic um, arms coming off it. But like the, if you think of the rip pins and the parachute system where it goes through the cone, well, the the, the outer periphery yeah. of the life raft, uh, sorry, the the life jacket um, was closed by that. So when the pilot pulled on the handle, it pulled all these three-inch long plastic arms out of the loops which allowed the thing to come open yeah yeah and fire right. the bottle the blunties wore mark 15s oh did they okay yeah they had a connection to the life raft attached to them um a, you know one of the squeeze side squeeze button things that just hung down and you connected your um your life raft lanyard to your jacket yep um yep. you also had the the leg restraints in the Blunty and the Mackie had those as well. Right, right, right. 
okay. the old leg garters to pull the legs in on ejection. Yep. Uh, That's right. Yeah, quite quite a nifty idea that. Yeah. They're just attached to the floor and as the seat goes up the rail, it pulls your feet into the seat and then snaps as you leave the aircraft. So. Of course, that wouldn't be disconcerting in any way. I no. guess it'd be the last thing you'd notice, though. <laughs> I think the Argentine pilots from the Falklands um, and, the, and the Skyhawks experienced um, some knee issues due to their their height, I guess, and the, uh, sitting in the ejection seat that went probably ideal. The old thigh to knee distance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just looking at a picture of um, got the Mark 12. Anti-G suit was a Mark 2A. This is 1986 on the Skyhawk. I've actually got a copy of the 4.0 Skyhawk book. And um, okay. it was designed in 1980, mid-85, the 4.0. Um, the, the book was modified. Actually, the, um, the, the G suits went through quite a, a um, change over a very short period of time. We used to have those shiny satin finish ones, and then we ended up with the matte cotton-type Nomex finish. Right. They wanted to look cooler, so they went with the uh, Nomex ones, eh? Yeah. yeah. Didn't want to shine on the on the. Which were, which were actually, to be honest, they were they were probably better to maintain. They're easier to darn, and yep, they're pretty good. And we had a bunch of them modified. We'd taken the laces off and put Velcro on them with flaps on of Velcro for packs people, so you didn't have to stuff around too much getting people into the jet for yeah, right rides. Do you know, I had this. Hey, just, I had this vision um, when I went on my Mackie flight. I had this vision that you know these G suits pump up and down the whole flight, and you know it's all really rigorous and scary. And um, I was with um, uh, Graham Dobson, and oh, yeah. we got up to up the clouds, and I went, "Oh, I don't think my G suit's working." And he goes, "Oh, let's check it." <laughs> off we go. I'm fucking do some wheelie gigs. I'm like, "It's working." <laughs> <laughs> it was bloody funny. She, um, it was the, the the female pilots were the ones that, uh, when it came to G suits, was uh, made it a bit interesting because <laughs> some of them would like go on diets, and you'd, every couple of weeks you'd have to go and either let it in or take it out. Or <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You never really had any problems with the guys so much like that, but the, some of the girls were uh, interesting. They're all good though. Yeah, all when good. the um, when the Skyhawks flew out flew over to Nara from Ahakia, um, everyone had to wear immersion suits. Is that is that right? The Mark Ten immersion suit. Yep. Yep. The blue things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, they didn't wear immersion suits for later, but that was that was what what I was doing in the songwriting bay in between bottling homebrew. Yeah, um, suits, yeah, gluing things together. Yeah, gluing things, um, sizing them up, cutting legs and arms to length, putting booties on, um, all that kind of stuff. And I think they really preferred those compared to the ones that they had before. Yeah. So did they get issued to a pilot uh, as their, yes. their own they gear? Totally okay. sized to a person, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you had to um, get them to put them on and then adjust all the rubber seals on the wrists and neck and stuff. Um, yeah, they, they're definitely sized to the person. One other thing we did um, on my 
by the my third Vanguard, we'd um, organized for the, because the immersion suits and the G suits, uh, sorry, the, the Zoom bags overalls had zips down the bottom. So when they're on their long transit flights, they could unzip themselves. But what we what they found was difficult. They couldn't pee into a um, piddle bags that were provided with the aircraft. So we organized catheters from um, the medical flight. So they'd put them on before they left the heart. <laughs> but they have the tubes running out through their holes in the suit. So they, they just do it when they're sitting in the jet. <laughs> From memory, the, um, yeah, you're right. The zip sat about two inches too high, yes. even for the, uh, the largest of men. Um, and the other thing, there's a story about this, but I probably won't tell it. Um, but the, <laughs> the relief bags they had would kink. And if they kinked, they'd get pee all over themselves because it would block yeah. the block the transit of the wheeze into the spongy bit. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a few people that learned their lesson over the time. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons we got got the catheter um, things for them. You know, like a condom with a tube on the end of it, so they just fit them before yeah. they left. And they could leave it on the whole trip, um, you know, while they were flying, and all they had to do was change the bag at the other end. All right. Nice. Did they do that much? I don't. I don't recall that. Eh? Yeah, it was the only. We only did it um, for the last trip that I did on Vanguard um, to um, back to Quantum. We did Quantum one year, then the next year was Singapore, and then Quantum again. Um, so that third trip, we sort of got sick of the complaints and talked to the medics up in the base medical flight and and uh, came with a solution for them. So. Yeah, they were happy with it actually. They were dead chuffed, so to speak. Yeah. So the one that the story I wasn't going to tell was the elusive sheepskin cover. <laughs> so um, only one time ever we were in Nara, we were based at Amberley, and they had hot refueling ability. And so the boys went and did a sortie, and then they were going to fly back to Nara straight away. So they teed up this hot refueling because they thought that'd be a pretty cool capability to. Um, to sort out and um so they had it all hooked up and um nameless pilot um was watching and uh because i think they had to do the hot refueling they had to have their hands on the dash yeah away from the switches yeah like that. yeah and then um so he, he's like oh i need to go for a week so um the whole bag blockage thing happened and apparently this um pilot's eyes went bright bright white he's just obviously had a, a bit of a blowback and then um, when we when we got back to Nara, the seat cover, the sheepskin, and the G suit were all not to be seen. And and um, unknown pilot's wife um, had cleaned those for that. Um, and they came back to the SNS section on uh, on the Monday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they learned their lesson. Very um. nice. Very nice. <laughs> It's funny reminiscing back on things like they they were funny at the time, but they're even funnier now to remembering because yeah. I don't remember anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if, uh, if, Evan, did you say that uh, you actually packed a chute that was used in anger in an ejection seat? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> 07, the, the, the jet that went down just outside Martin, I think it was in 97, maybe 98, I'm not sure. Um, 
I packed it by myself because most of the squadron, MSS squadron, was away doing some exciting adventure training or something. And um, I think it was actually a jet that was coming out of Woodburn from group and they needed it in a hurry. So me and Bruce Molcock had to stay behind and do it. So as, as uh, Jeffrey was saying, the, the hardest part of the whole exercise is finding the flight sergeant to do the independence. Independent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially when there's nobody else in the building and he can he could be anywhere so you've got to basically guard the door and make sure he doesn't escape but yeah um sure. it was uh, a rare occasion i don't i don't think he ever did it other than that was uh self-pack and self-check and with brucey doing the independence wow and yeah when they uh, went back to um santa get, get the paperwork out ready for the um the inevitable courier to come and find it after the jet crashed. It was, uh, yeah, who packed that? Oh, crap, it was me. <laughs> I'm glad that worked. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, totally. Relief cool. followed by joy. <laughs> and the interesting thing after that was, though, it's the medical person who came down from Auckland, uh, the aviation medicine specialist doctor person, um, she spent quite a bit of time in our bay going through all the equipment and stuff and looking at things. So actually learned a lot about aviation medicine at the same time at that from that. But, uh, yeah, so, so, that, was, so that, that was such a buzz. So, so that so ejection. Martin, yeah, sorry, that ejection in Martin, that was June 96. What about the one in 1992 at Cass? Um, where is it? I'm just looking at it. Yeah, that was Scott Arnold. Uh, July 1992. Castle Point, the Castle uh, engine Point. flame yeah. out and the pilot landed on the beach. Yeah, yeah, that was Scott Armour. He was the one that lost his survival pack on a yes, the one. sequence. The, um, hey, did you guys get to score any of the um, like the canopies and all that after the investigation? Yeah, How many I, canopies I, are sort of made themselves into um, private hands, you think? I grabbed the one from the, the one that I picked, that ejection. Um, after they'd finished with it for the uh, inquiry and stuff, and they were, they just they were sending it. They sent the gave it to the suppliers to dispose of. They were going to burn the thing. Right. What so, a waste! Yeah, I I actually scored it. So <laughs> I don't. Well, you know, they need to go to a good home. But um, the problem with them now is that you can't put them up anywhere because they're a fire hazard. Yeah. Oh, ran your lights and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you can't really hang them or you know, display them anywhere because, yeah, <laughs> they caught fire. Yeah. I, I should point out to the hey, listeners, talk. when you're talking about canopy, you're talking about the parachute canopy, not the, not the canopy on the cockpit. Yeah, 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 the, the parachute canopy, sorry, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people might get a little bit confused with that. Um, just, to, <laughs> just to make another point here, um, that aircraft that you were talking about, you said 07, it was actually 03. 07 was, was Fred Kingfig's one. Oh, oh. Yeah, it was too. Yeah, yeah 07 uh, is 1974, isn't it? No, yeah. I don't know why yeah. that got stuck in my head. Yeah. yeah it had just come back from Woodburn from a group servicing and um, someone had left a rag in the uh, oil sump in the engine. Oh, really? That's why it stopped. Okay, interesting. That's good. Yeah. So what Scotty Armour's one was something was put around the wrong way. Eh? 
I think so. Yeah, there was something else to do with the engine. So it was like sucking oil instead of pumping it, or something like that. Yeah. No, no, that that was nineteen. That was convinced one. The oil pump ran the wrong way. Just I'm just reading it. Um, yeah. The one at Castle Point. Where is it? Castle Point. That was an engine flame out. The one in Martin was the engine failure following loss of oil pressure. Yeah. Yeah. That was oh. a, yeah. They found a rag blocking the feed tube. Wow. So, yeah. Hey, um, what what about the myth of um parachute canopies, especially over or over water, that um they'll pull you under, and they don't float? Because I haven't done a course like some of the other guys at PDSU, and I've done a number of water jumps off Australia and New Zealand coast. Um, it's quite interesting. I think a bit of a myth was around the old silk parachutes that obviously wouldn't float, but the ones after that when nylon, ripstop nylon was used. Um, yeah, I, I've had canopies over my head at sea and I've had parachutes in the water for just under an hour on a water jump and the Australian Navy come along an hour later and pick up the um, T10 canopy from the sea. Um, they actually float quite well for a period of time. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I agree. I, I did three wet drill jumps. I only had the canopy land on me once and it wasn't a problem. The biggest problem. No, you can actually breathe through them. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest problem I had was the Navy life preserver they gave us didn't work. <laughs> oh, really? So fortunately, the um, the reserve chute which I still had on me was um, keeping me afloat. Otherwise, it would have been a bit iffy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, pulled the handle and nothing happened. Was, uh, <laughs> Not good. A dodgy bottle or dodgy operating head or something, but yeah. I was, Stick to the Air Force stuff because you know it's always going to work. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mate, you did, you do a, did you do a jump into Jarvis Bay? Uh, no, did yeah. two, two in the Waitemata and one off Long Bay, which is, I guess, is the Waitemata as well, but further up. Yeah, yeah I did two jumps off Jarvis Bay. Yeah, so did they tell you just as you got in the bus that it was a uh, shark breeding ground that you're dropping into? Yep. Yeah, we yeah, got yeah. briefed about that too. Yeah, so we, we weren't worried about our canopies. We were worried about Sharky's nor nor. <laughs> <laughs> Try to look distasteful. Yeah. <laughs> the jump, the jump I did in Jervis Bay, the first one out of the, out of a um, Aussie C130. We had to do it with full equipment, styre, the whole lot, and I actually, oh, um, yeah. So um, I was with PDSU. And we're doing it with the young Australian commandos and um, groups of 14 of us. Right? We had an Aussie hurt, Kiwi hurt flying parallel off the coast about 2Ks and we'd um, static line jumps. But I never, a lot of us never deployed our life preservers. We found that our packs and the reserve, the packs were wrapped up in plastic and so was the styre. Once we. Oh, um, so you're pretty floaty. Yeah, we held onto the pack and I just had difficulty getting in through the um, breakers onto the beach. And that's where I started drinking um, seawater. Oh, yep. <laughs> but but the, our parachutes, we had about probably 28 to 30 parachutes sitting off the coast waiting with a Navy ship offshore waiting to um, go and get them. So, yeah, they just sit there and float for ages. I don't think we lost any any um, parachutes. Yeah, no, I've wow. never seen anything about them taking people under or sinking or anything. Well, I guess all, all beats are off in a um, in a moving sw a moving sea. It might be a bit different. Yeah, yeah. we did 
take the trainee pilots at the base swimming pool and drop a canopy over them and teach them how to follow the lines out to get out from underneath. So I think it's yeah, more right. of a confidence thing than anything else. Yeah, Actually, true. there was there was an incident at QE2 pool with the air crew. Actually, I do remember that, and that was about 1982. And you mentioned it earlier, I think, Evan, about a life preserver not, not working correctly. What happened at Wigram, um, Noddy was there, I was there, I think Cam was there as well. What happened, we had a wet, whole lot of wet drill life preservers just for that purpose, for the aircrew training in the pool. Well, an officer went off the diving board, feet first, jumped in, went to the bottom, <laughs> and he pulled the handle, we could see it, and nothing happened, because there was no bottle fitted. <laughs> we used so, to yeah. um, we used to trick trick out one though. Like, didn't we used to trick one or two out so that you could use it as a demo? So it actually, like, you yeah, have to manually inflate. I don't know if it was yeah, I don't know yeah. if it was meant to be done, but we had that happen at the pool at Ahakia with the life raft bottle. Not the bottle was there, but it wasn't screwed onto the operating head properly. I, I think I was I think I was there with you, probably you. And uh, yeah, because it just happened to be the wing commander doing that particular raft. <laughs> <laughs> and he, do you remember what he said? I do. <laughs> no, I, I don't okay. remember. He said, he said, geez, you're being a bit hard on the wing commander. <laughs> yeah, because there's a big... So he thought it was put on anyway, so we're safe as houses. <laughs> Are uh, we out of the statute of limitations? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did a good job of getting him to think it was meant to happen like that. It was a, you know, it was a an experienced air crewman test to, you know, what happens if your raft doesn't inflate. So he went through all yeah, the I good think, stuff. Um, I think that's when I was, I, I think that's when I was getting signed out on Skyhawk stuff with you if at two before been, they before left. You an hour. Yeah, no, before they left. So, so 1990 yeah. would have been. That was embarrassing, but we did a good recovery job on it. And he, I think he suspected, but he was a good bloke. He, he wouldn't have got too fussed about it. I seem to recall that the um, single seat rafts had a little bellows in them for that sort of yep. case, didn't they? Yeah. If, it, if it didn't inflate, then you could pump it up yourself. Imagine well, doing that in the sea yeah. when you've just bailed out of an aircraft, though, and you're probably already well, yeah. stuffed. We took, we took <laughs> them if the, the main chamber had a hole in it, so you couldn't inflate it anyway. Then the next best thing is to inflate the floor. And yep. then, well, that's inflate right. the canopy first, and then the floor. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Dave, when you asked what was in the hat, yeah, um, I mean, just realised, yeah, there was a little pocket on the inside that had bungs, rubber oh, bungs. Yeah. That's right. And a baler. Yeah, so if you yeah, got a like hole, a, you can um, bung it. Just a, yeah, just a vinyl um, baler thing. So it looked like a beret. That's right, yep. That's it, yeah. yeah. And had the strobe light um, stick on the top to become a lighthouse. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. And, and of course, um, they all carried uh, a personal locator beacon, which they could also flip over and speak to a, uh, an aircraft that was reasonably close. Uh, yeah. Uh, was that the Sabi, or did they have a different one with the jets? It was the Sabi 5, and then it got replaced with something else just before I left. Uh, they'd replaced them all with a new Sabi something or other. Right. A later right. model. That was one of the fun things of being a flying clothing worker on the squadrons was um, when the tower would ring up with them all and say, hey, there's a beacon's gone off yeah. somewhere. 
probably yeah. in one of the jackets. So you had to go around all the jackets and aircraft to find nine times out of 10, it wasn't anything on the base. It was somewhere else. Yeah, or or somebody had been shifting a load of uh, life preservers or something and a pin's been popped in the, yeah. in the meantime. But yeah, I, that happened a few times when I was at Wigram. <laughs> yeah, we had a little rig that we could use to walk around like a direction finder thing. If you got close to the source, you'd get the sound of a beacon through the speaker on the little box in your hand. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And you could do a, well, you could do a test within five minutes of the hour or something, couldn't you? And no one would, no one would get faced. Yeah. Didn't you, have, didn't you ring them and say, I'm going to do a Sabi test? And they'd say, yeah, you could do it before <laughs> the five minutes after the hour or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah, if you want yeah. to. Yeah. That's true. Hey guys, um, with the Sabi Five, I borrowed two with an avionics guy, and this at Wigram, and we went out hunting, and the avionics guy borrowed what he said with two training Sabis, and we used the walkie-talkie function. We're out in the bush on the um, near Reefton, and we're talking <laughs> to each other, deer hunting, and bloody two strike masters turned up above us. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened? I said. I thought you, you said they couldn't hear us on this channel. And we don't know if it was coincidence, but we just bailed out, got back, and he had to hand, sneak them back into the section where he got them yeah, from on the, on the Monday morning before they were checked to see who was using them. Yeah, so I never worked out. So the guy, is, um, the guy is still around. Steve was the Avonance guy. We actually talked on Facebook. I won't give his last name, but I always wondered, did the aircraft, was it coincidence they flew in a low-level area? listening to us or yeah we don't i never we never worked it out because there's only two channels on it isn't there the emergency international emergency channel and the two two four five point five or something and a um speech channel yeah it was one yeah, two one five yeah. and it was um two four three was the beacon part but yeah. the um the one after that did the 406 to satellite as yeah, well because the rescue center was actually in australia yeah. Okay. The, All right. Uh, the beacon signal was picked up and sent to a by satellite to a, a base station in Australia, and they would get in contact with New Zealand if the beacon was going off. Mm. Right. Yeah. So the yeah. final beacon they ended up using, Dave, was um was pretty specky because it, it was the first one that spoke to satellite. Yeah. Yeah. And um they did trials in the football field at Fenopai, I think, and they nailed them down to like. Um, they were at one end and they nailed them down to the other end's football field, uh, football posts. Okay. Wow. So it was pretty good. Pretty yeah. Accurate. That's awesome. They looked nice and new too, not like the old beaten up Sabi fires. Yeah. But when you yeah. think about it, all of the gear that we had in our aircraft uh, and probably still have in the aircraft is really good top spec gear for the safety and survival of the aircrew. Um, you know, we had a lot of old stuff. I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff in the bay that we had tools there that had been bought during the war, I think, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and our old bikes that were from the 1930s and stuff like that. But when it comes to safety, the, the Air Force was uh, was really spot on looking after the air crew, right? They, they were actually. Um, funny story. When I was um, in the life raft bay, we... The, the rigid seat survival kits for the Skyhawk seats were starting to get really worn out and 
incredibly hard to get the latches, the locking latches to work on them. So that's right. We thought we're going to get some. We, how can we get some new ones to replace these? Because these are just you know getting old and they obviously need replacing. So we actually ended up after about six months, these boxes turned up of brand, well, what we thought were brand new Risk 8As. And they were basically purchased through our supply system off the American Navy through their fleet supply system. And when we opened the boxes, these things were in worse condition than the ones that we already had. <laughs> and they were supposed to be the best. Didn't they have, um, yeah, they have a lease close. They weren't a double lid, a seat and pan. They had something yeah. wrong with them, mate. They were different. Yeah, they, they only, the, the ones we had were a later mod of three latches, and these ones were the old two latch systems that used to come apart on ejection. And they had fiberglass repairs all over them. They were, they were just pieces of garbage compared to what we had. So we boxed them back up and they sent them back, and hopefully they got a refund. But yeah, we kept them. Yeah. Ones. They weren't so bad after all. They'd probably been boxed up and sent back to the supply system in the States about 50 times. Probably. <laughs> I, I remember being at uh, Hobsonville um, when I was a junior painter helping them do some uh, rotor blade repaints. And there was a couple of boxes turned up with supposedly brand new um, Iroquois rotor blades, main rotor blades. And when they opened the boxes, they still had um, bullet holes in the blades. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> One sucker born every minute. Apparently, it's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> now, the life raft. Uh, I think the life raft in all three of these seats was the uh, SS Mark Fifteen, wasn't it? The RFD SS Mark Fifteen, which is yep. stood for single seat. Um, yeah, they're... fifteen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all the same. Yeah, and and they were like a little little black life raft that was just smaller than a bath almost to sit in and and it uh, inflate you could inflate around you uh this orange canopy that protected you from this the elements in the sea and that sort of thing yeah um, the, the bottle inflated the main chamber yeah we, we always also used to do the uh wet drill training for the pilots as well um ahaki was a bit different from auckland and wigram where they used to let the uh the ptis loose on it but we'd do it so um oh we did it at wigram we, we, yeah, we actually did it at Wigram and down at the pool sometimes, and we even went to um, Queen Elizabeth uh, pools in, in town and did it with some of the air crew. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we 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 did take that over, obviously, because I've seen I've seen photos of PDIs doing it. And I thought, what are they doing it for? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we even um, we even got the gear sent to Nara and did a wet draw out in Judd's Bay. Oh, awesome! Right. That would have yeah, been a lot. Yeah, it's pretty good. Doubled up with a scallop trip for the divers. Um, Did you say that you had spoken to Barnsley? Yes, I, I have. Yeah, I've recorded with so him. So just while we're on life rafts, he'd be the only person that ever ejected into the water, wouldn't he? Uh, didn't one of the other skyhawks? Yeah, but he landed crazy. on the beach. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yep. Yeah, that was Scott Armour. He actually lost his seat pack during the ejection. Right, right. That's um, right. Nobody knows for sure whether he just went through the drills and released the, the QRF by mistake or whether the um, locking lugs on the QRF bounced under the ejection load and released it accidentally. They did do a lot of 
research, I remember uh, squadron leader John Tenhav set up a mannequin in the SEMS and put the harness and QRF on and started whacking the QRF with a um, sledgehammer to see if he could get the connections to bounce open. Yeah. I think it worked. I think, I think actually... it was a, um, yeah, I think if you just slightly took it off center without pushing the button, I think that's how he got them to release. Yeah. So we ended up pinning it in the end, eh? But nobody even knew for sure whether it was a, a finger problem or an equipment problem. No. Right, right, right. We did, after that, we did put in safety pins through them all. Okay. You can understand in that kind of uh, situation, a mistake could easily happen, but um, whether or not it was Absolutely. a mistake, we don't know. So um, it's just, just lucky you didn't need it. <laughs> just watching yeah. the guys, especially the newbies doing the wet drills, it's um, in the swimming pool and under the rig, giving them plenty of time and they still cock it up. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dave, one of the one of the drills which was key difference between the QRF on Martin Baker and the QRF used um, on the A4 was that you turned the QRF to prime it. So as you hit the water, you'd hit it and it would release the um, harness. Yeah. But you'd still be connected to the um, life raft. But on the okay. QRF for the A4, if you turned it, it released. So the yeah. theory was that if you did the wrong drills for the wrong aircraft, you'd lose your life raft. Yeah, that'd, right. that'd, that'd, that'd be it too. Yeah, Because the, the raft is connected by a lanyard on the A4 rather than the QRF. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the Strike Master. Yeah. Okay. Now, as the as the pilots coming down, they have to release the raft. So essentially, when, once you you're sitting on a, a basically a case on the A4, yeah. And as you release it, you're still sitting on the lid of that case, and then everything drops down on a lanyard. The life raft should inflate under its own weight, and um, there was one um, equipment pack at the bottom of that pack as well. Okay. So the idea is you get in your raft. You retrieve your equipment pack, and then you cut yourself away from all the lanyards and everything. Once yeah, you've yeah. attached yourself to the mast, to the raft, you hook onto the raft with the um because you've got a, a uh, string with a hook, uh, like a carabiner type hook on the end of it, which you hook onto the raft, and then you release the seat lid off your butt, and then you get into the raft, um, and then you inflate your floor and inflate your canopy and sea anchor out and drag your bag of goodies in. Yeah, and then try and get the water out of the raft. And bail, yeah. Yeah, yeah bail. With in, the, the, in roughly that order. Yeah. And the, the, there's an integral baler, which is sort of a, a tube that comes out, out of the bottom that you can use as a scoop, and then it has a valve in the bottom that you can just squeeze it out through the bottom, isn't it? Yeah, it, that was hopeless, though. It's, yeah. We, <laughs> we taught the pilots to use their helmets exactly. to bail yeah. them out to get the bulk of the water out and then um, put the helmet back on. So, and yep. um, yeah, that's that's the process we taught everybody, Mackies and Blunties. And... Yeah. Well, guys, we've covered a heap here. Have you got any other sort of uh, memories or stories of the survival and safety gear on these jets? Well, I remember one improvement on the um, Skyhawk parachute. Um, I think around 86, um, they introduced a modification for a uh, four-line breakaway to make the um, NES-12 canopy or parachute oh, yeah. um, steerable. 
Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. That's and that, that consisted of um, red red steering lines added to it, and we had to mod them as they came through for a bay servicing, which was I think every ten months the Skyhawk shoot was due for a bay servicing. Yeah, eight eight months I think it was eight months. Something. Oh, I got ten months down here. Yeah. yeah. Might have been ten months, but so long ago I can't hardly remember. I do remember that that what you're talking about because the the red string you pulled on it and it released two rigging lines off two of the risers. Yes. So it just it, it released the um so it was the back corners of the canopy if you're facing if the person air crew is facing forward and it yep. gave the two corners that you could actually have limited steering, just like a power rescue type parachute, I suppose. Yeah, the um the the Mackie shoots had a steering system on them built into them as well with two handles. It must have taken a while to get through all the um NES twelve parachutes though, because I only did probably three vaguely from memory, but it must have taken quite a while to get through the fleet. Uh I mean there was what how many aircraft were there after the twenty two aircraft? 22, so, yeah, about twenty two, yeah. Um, the extras, the doubles. The biggest problem with the, the, the NES-12, well, not a problem, the biggest workload of those things is when 75 were going away on a deployment and they couldn't have any parachutes that would fall due during the deployment, so you'd have to pull some early yeah. and pack them. And they're one yeah. spare. True. And they're one spare for the packer. Um, yeah. That caused a bit of an issue once because when PDS arrived on Ahakia, because we took over their parachutes as well, um, they were used to being the top dog on the base and when they came to a Ahakia and they were bottom of the totem pole and they didn't really <laughs> comprehend that and uh, yeah. we had this grumpy flight sergeant from PDS turn up asking why they hadn't had their parachutes turned around for the for their plastic rats and we were busy doing NES-12s for 75's deployment and says, hey look we can't touch them for at least two weeks and what? Jump up and down, you know, you we're at PDS, you've got to do them right now. Well, yeah, you can't tell the wing commander that, pal. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, hey, can anyone yeah. remember anyone remember the servicing cycle for the um, Martin Baker with the Strike Master? I can't remember the um, servicing cycle for that one. No, I never did any of them, so. Um, yeah, they must, I, thought they were six, I, thought, I thought both of them were six months when I got there. I, mean, I got there in probably 91. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, well, the 10 months was taken from the nav air that i'm looking at from the nav air publication for the for nes 12 oh, yeah. but i just haven't got i can't remember and haven't got the info on the martin baker yeah. um cycle i don't know the blunty one i, I don't think the nes 12 was 10 months so i'm sure it was a shorter time period than that okay. i know that the um the shoots that i packed for the cd4s they were six monthly because right oh no the the nes 12s will be six monthly because they came out with the risk eight packs because they were you had to take them apart um to get the parachute out because the buckles and the parachute went inside the the box so they always came out at the same time for servicing as a set okay hmm. okay when you take taking the parachute out uh obviously the seat comes out of the uh aircraft first to go and not necessarily <laughs> The Skyhawk, they can take the seat equipment out and leave the seat in the airplane and just put new stuff straight back in. Okay, okay. Um, so the, they might not be on the same cycle then as, as the parachute. The seat would have to. Oh, be the seat won't be. The seat will have its own individual cycle, but I think they are like a, 
a year or two years or something. I don't know, a lot longer. Ah, okay. Okay, yeah. Well, the, um, the parachute side pack for the Skyhawk, we used to call, the sergeant called the armourers up and they would come down with a, a, a trolley with an ejection seat on it. And they came down and they would use the um, parachute table to finish packing the um, drogue for the ejection seat oh, yeah, yeah. and take away the parachute. So I think it was on a separate cycle, but they usually timed it um, when the table was free and they used to use their table to pack, pack the uh, seat drogue. And if it was raining, they put the NES-12 on the bang seat, wheel it out with a um, with a purpose-made cover. Uh, I think it was a, I think it was a PVC type material over the whole seat, yeah. so they could take it back to the um, armour section to finish off. Yeah, I think that was when the seats were getting serviced, though, but not, rather than yeah, the yeah. parachutes. Right. <coughs> One question about these parachutes in the in the seats: If you are in an aircraft and you pull the handles and nothing happens. Can you still deploy the parachute and get out, or like you know, manually jump out? And each yeah, of the, the NES, well, you, you could with the NES 12 because it has a, um, a D ring handle on the left hand side. Um, I don't think you could on the Mackie shoot. Okay, I don't remember whether it had a, a manual release system or not, but then again, if the seat didn't go, the canopy's not going either, so no. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember a um, manual release thing. Although there was a way of blowing the canopy on the Mackie, right? There was a little handle for that. Uh, yeah, well, it's got a, a deck cord on the clear part, so it just blows the, yeah. the plastic apart. Yeah, so it must have been a manual release out of the seat. Yeah, I don't know if there was one for the parachute, though, because it's in the head box. It doesn't go with you. It stays with the yeah. seat. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I don't know. Um, oh. But yeah, the Skyhawk one definitely had a manual release system, but I don't know about the Blunty. I think it did. I don't yeah. know. Dave will find out for us. He'll go yeah. on the hunt. Yeah, Martin we'll Baker, pretty viable. Eh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, no, okay. Well, I think we're pretty much covered way more than i was expecting this could be an episode by itself i think <laughs> uh but uh no that's this is good guys thank you very much i appreciate it yeah you're welcome good that's cool good, it's uh, good to remember yeah yeah or try to remember <laughs> there's, yeah, there's quite a few um there's quite a few ex-military working out at westpac rescue where i've been training and we decided the other day that all you need is a few beers and um four or five ex-servicemen and you've got a book within two hours. <laughs> I can absolutely believe that, man. I can absolutely believe that. Oh, yeah. Totally, yeah. Because yep. you actually often don't remember stuff until someone prompts a, a memory. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, it all just true, starts true. flooding, flooding out. Yeah. That's why I thought it'd be a good idea to have you three on together instead of me trying to, you know, interview you guys singly because you guys have been bouncing off each other, which has been brilliant. I can't remember most of the stuff I know we briefly got trained in my training, but I never went to any of the ejection um, bays or, you know, I, I never went to the parachute bay. I worked on the um, the life rafts at Ahakia for about three months and all I did was pack life rafts. I don't, I don't even remember doing life preservers. I must have, but 
I just don't remember. No, they were done on the squadron the at Ahakia. Oh, were yeah. they? Ah, okay, that's yeah. why I don't remember. Yeah, so um, Auckland at the time was doing the life preservers for the whole base um, in the life raft bay, but um, no, at Ahakia that was on the on the units with the flying clothing. Okay, yeah, because yeah, at, at Wigram we did it in the unit in the um, SNS bay as well. So yeah, um, we did we did parachutes, um, the big life rafts, the single seat life rafts, life preservers. Uh, the helicopter jackets, everything, and that was I was the only baggie, and there was a corporal and a sergeant, and we did all of that, well the sergeant didn't do much um, yeah. mm. The so, Skyhawk life jackets were fitted to the pilot, so you couldn't they, they weren't a pool system, they were personally fitted Right, right, yep That was the same with the helicopter jackets as well They used to have to bring them into the bay the, um, That's what I was that's what I was wearing today, was, fishing Yep. The um, Iroquois survival vest. I modified it to put all my flies and my fishing gear on it. <laughs> I always thought they would make a really good fishing jacket. They were perfect. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna tell you how I got my Mackie flight. So, <laughs> um, so uh, Dave, are you gonna publish this? Or oh, you might want to. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> Murray Dobson um, came into the bay. And he said, uh, look, I want to get one of these survival vests made up for fly fishing. And um, and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, no worries, all good. And sort of sat on it for a while. And at the time, if you recall, the Mackies kept getting grounded for their flame outs. Yep. They were having engine problems. Yep, always. Yep. And um, and he said, I'll take you for a Mackie flight if you, if you get this um, vest done. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, all good. And so we were all scheduled to go and then the whole fleet got grounded because of another flame out. And um, so he was talking and he's, he desperately wanted a survival vest. And so I, I made it all up for him. And then uh, he goes, oh yeah, yeah, cool. I'll grab it and I'll, I'll sort you out for the flight. And I'm like, nah, as soon as we can, you sort me out for the flight, you get the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got my Mackie flight. Like Good. And cool. even better, we were the first flight after the um the grounding had been cancelled. So um he desperately wanted his jacket, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's how I got the Mackie flight. Funny, isn't it? Thinking about it, we actually had a, re a reasonable amount of injections over the years. Yeah, the the board that used to be in the main entrance at MSS was pretty full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I remember, when, so I got to Ahakia in 89, and not much happened in that time. I think Scotty Armas was just as I left in about 92. Yeah, that would be right. Yep. And um, about 97, I think. You know, this is the thing with VS and S, right? You don't want anyone to ever use your gear, but man, you want people to use your gear. Yeah. Just to make you, you know, it's a real, it's a real oxymoron, isn't it? Like, um, you don't want anyone to be in harm's way, but you know they always say our motto was you know last one is to let you down. Well, hopefully that's in a parachute, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it's a good I, I must admit, once the you know once you find out whether they got out alive, what a buzz! Yeah, it's a it's a it's a buzz, and then the yeah. beer is the second buzz. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, I'll tell you what, it did instill in me. Um, for my future career when I ended up being a helicopter crewman was that um, 
constant double checking. Yep. Yeah. You know, if you're not sure, you're not sure. So just exactly. get on it. You know, and uh, and I thought I think that's probably served me well in life actually, having done that trade. Same. Same. I use those Air Force principles and work principles all the time. <laughs> anyway, we'll probably end it there, guys. I've got heaps there, and I've certainly learned a lot, actually, uh, and I've remembered a lot that I'd completely forgotten. So, fantastic. Yeah, thanks, same. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, absolutely the same. Yeah, it was cool. Good to awesome. talk to you guys again. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.